you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're there in Luke chapter number 16. And of course, we are going through a series of sermons called Journey with Jesus. And it really is a Bible study, a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. And we've been making our way through this comprehensive study of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning we find ourselves in uh, Luke chapter 16. And we'll be starting at verse number 19 and finishing up the chapter. And just to remind you, uh, just a quick review or recap of Luke chapter 16. If you remember when we started this chapter, we saw in the first uh, nine verses the parable of the unjust steward. We saw that last uh, Sunday night. And then uh, on Wednesday night, in verses 10 through 19, we saw some principles of stewardship. And I want you to just keep that in mind that Jesus chose to tell this story of the rich man and Lazarus within the context of stewardship, uh, the context of the parable of the unjust steward, and then, of course, principles on uh, stewardship. And, of course, this is a very well-known story. I've preached a lot out of this story over the years. And in fact, I recently preached out of this story not too long ago in a sermon when I was in Tempe, Arizona called uh, The Cries of Hell. And for those of you that are thinking that this morning's sermon will just be a regurgitation of that sermon, uh, you don't have to uh, think so little of me. Uh, This is a completely different sermon. And I've I've chosen to look at this sermon and to highlight some different areas and things um, that are different than what... Uh, we I've normally looked at in this passage. Obviously, the passage is what it is, and we will focus on what God emphasizes. The plain things are always the main thing, and that's what we want to uh, focus on in this passage. But we'll look at several other things that we don't that maybe we don't normally look at when we are coming to this passage and not doing a verse by verse comprehensive study. Of course, this is a story of two men: one who went to heaven, and one who went to hell. And one thing that I want to just make clear off right at the beginning is that it is my position and my belief that this is not a parable. Uh, There's a lot of debates about this story that Jesus told, the rich man and Lazarus, whether it's a parable or not. And I'm of the position, and if you have a different position, that's okay. Um, I'm of the position that this is not a parable Uh, and that this is a story of two individuals, uh, something that actually happened that Jesus brings up and tells us. Now, there's several reasons why I don't believe this is a parable. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. I'll just give you one. If you look at verse 19 there, the Bible says, and there was a certain rich man. And when you read that (coughs) phrase, it sounds like the beginning of a parable, which is why people assume it is a parable. The Bible says, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And then in verse 20, it says, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. And I just want to point out to you that in no other parable in the Bible did Jesus ever give a proper name for an individual. All throughout the parables given by the Lord Jesus Christ, if you do a survey of the parables, you'll find that there were always nameless individuals. You'll read things like a sower went forth to sow, or a certain man had two sons, or a certain man went down from Jerusalem, or the ground of a certain rich man, or I will liken him unto a wise man, or a certain man uh, uh, had uh, this situation. And throughout the Bible, as Jesus gives parables, he will 
always keep the individuals anonymous. And of course, we know that a parable is an earthly story designed to give uh, a, a spiritual truth, and it's not a literal story. Here, however, Jesus gives us the proper name of an individual, uh, a man named Lazarus. So that is one of the reasons that I don't believe that this is a parable. I believe this is an actual story that Jesus told. And there's a lot of details in this story uh, about this man, Lazarus, like one is that the dogs licked his sores. And just the amount of details given here leads me to believe that this is an actual story and an actual account. If you are of the position that this is a parable, that's all right. The question I would ask you is, is it, if it is a parable, then what is it a parable about? What is it that Jesus is trying to teach us? And I think if you look at it from that perspective, you'll find that either way, the lessons are the same and the lessons are concrete. And we will look at these and uh, begin with this uh, this morning. I, I do want to just say to those of you taking notes, and of course, I always encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down some things. We're going to dissect the story this morning of the rich man and Lazarus under three different headings. The first heading will be lessons about this current life. The second heading will be lessons about the afterlife. And then the third and final heading will be lessons about how to live your life. So we'll begin this morning with lessons about this current life, things that we can learn from this story about the current life. Notice there in Luke 16 and verse 19, Jesus says this, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen. The reference there is that he had very nice, expensive clothes. The Bible says there's no new thing under the sun, and like it was in the first century, it continues to be in our century, and it is this, that often people and their wealth is uh, highlighted, their status is highlighted by the clothes they wear, the brands they wear. Here, this man, when Jesus tells us that he was a rich man, highlights the fact that he was clothed in purple. And throughout history, purple has been a color used by royalty because of the fact that it is difficult uh, to uh, create. The dye of purple is something that is hard to create. In our culture today, of course, dyes and ink are not difficult. But in that time, people who wore purple were people of, 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 of authority and people of wealth because it was so difficult to get that color. And again, wearing purple would show everybody this must be a person that is very successful because getting purple anything would be something difficult to do, just like the brands that uh, people like to wear today to show, you know, I'm better than you are or more successful than you are because I'm wearing clothes that you can't afford. This man, Jesus tells us, was clothed in purple and fine linen. Not only do we see that he was rich based off his clothes, but the Bible tells us, and fared sumptuously every day. The word fared means that he went along in life sumptuously. The word sumptuous means lavishly or luxurious. So this man was not only dressed well, but he fared well. He fared sumptuously every day. And as we look at this story that Jesus tells, we learn some lessons about this life and this current world that we live in. And I'd like to just highlight a couple of them for you. The first one is this, that life does differentiate. The life that you and I live in right now, it does differentiate between the classes. 
People don't like to talk about that, and people today like to think about and like to think about the world in, through the lens of a doctrine called egalitarianism. Egalitarianism is a teaching that teaches that all people are equal and deserve equal rights and opportunities. And I do believe, obviously, the Bible teaches that we are all made of the, uh, we are all of the blood of Adam. We are all equal as far as our value as human beings. But the truth of the matter is this, that in this life, in this life, there are differences between the classes. I'm not saying that that's right. I'm not saying that, that, that I agree with that. But I am just saying to you, what Jesus is saying to us is that we have to acknowledge the fact that this world has a lack of an egalitarianistic uh, uh, concept to our life. There are differences between individuals in this world. Because if you notice the state of the rich man, he was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously. And then I'd like you to notice what Jesus, and again, Jesus, is, he's not commenting. He's not saying, uh, and, and, and this is right, and he's not saying, and this is, and we've got to do something about it. He's just commenting about the fact that there's two individuals. One was a rich man that was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously. And then he says, and there was another man, verse 20, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate. Laid at whose gate? The rich man's gate. The word laid, the wording there indicates that this was a crippled man. He was not there uh, because... He necessarily dragged himself there, but somebody had laid him there. He was unable to move. He was laid at his gate. Notice what the Bible says, full of sores. And if he was a crippled man, then we know that he would probably have what we would refer to as bed sores, which are sores that develop on your body when you are unable to move or lying on a bed or a cot or something like that. And here Jesus tells us, He wants to bring into light these two different worlds of these two different men. One was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. The other man was a beggar named Lazarus who was laid. It seems to indicate that he was placed there. He was put there, not uh, uh, able to do it on his own at his gate, full of sores. Verse 21, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And for whatever it's worth, I just think it's interesting because I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I think obviously he's the greatest teacher that has ever lived, and that Jesus describes these lives of these two individuals in such a way to remind us that life, this life that you and I live in, no matter how many slogans and political slogans we want to uh, 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 chant, this life does differentiate between the classes. You may not like it. I'm not saying I like it. But there is something in human beings that want equality, and I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. That goes about it the wrong way. Uh, uh, People can go about it the wrong way. People can go about it the right way. But uh, we all want equality. You might think of socialism, which I don't agree with. Socialism believes that there should be an equal start to everyone's life, that everyone should start in the same place, that there should not be a rich man and a beggar, that they should both begin in the same place in life. I don't necessarily agree, uh, agree with that, but I will say this. We here at, at, in, in the United States of America, as Americans, 
believe in capitalism, and even capitalism has an egalitarian uh, view in the sense that not everyone should be given equal rights, but that, uh, excuse me, not that everyone should be an equal start, but that everyone should be given an equal opportunity, and that we should all have the same opportunity. And I, and I, I agree with that. I think we should all have an equal opportunity. But I think something that we need to maybe just fight with a little bit or struggle with a little bit, especially us as American Christians, is this, that just because we believe that everybody should have an equal opportunity does not make it so. So we, we, like to, we like to talk in America about how, oh, well, God bless America and equal opportunities for all and praise God for that. But what about the Christian that was born in, uh, in, 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 in China? What, what about the, the Christians that are living in Pakistan? They don't have the same opportunity that you and I have. And Jesus, whether you like it or not, just acknowledges the fact. He doesn't give a comment on it. He doesn't say, this is right. And he doesn't say, well, this is wrong. We've got to put a stop to it. He just acknowledges the fact that in life, there are people that have it better than others. There are some that are clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously. And you say, well, he worked hard for it. Well, maybe he did. Or maybe it was inherited. We, we don't know. But there are others who are beggars like Lazarus. And you might say, well, he was lazy and he deserved it. Maybe he was. Or maybe he was a cripple who lived in the first century. And the lot in life for him was to be laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. We just see a lesson from Jesus about this current life. And it is this, that life does differentiate between the classes. Unfortunately, whether you like it or not, the type of vehicle you drive, the type of brands that you wear, the neighborhood you live in does say something and thus, thus uh, 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 does differentiate us in our classes or in our status. Now you say, why is Jesus highlighting this and why is Jesus making a big deal about it? I believe that he's highlighting it to contrast it to another truth, because whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, whether you want to give your life to politics to try to change it or not, the truth is this, that life does differentiate between the classes. But Jesus highlights that in order to make another truth extremely clear, and it is this, that though life does differentiate between the classes, death does not discriminate between the classes. Look at verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now you might speak to dispensationalisms, uh, dispensationalists and they'll go off on some tangent about Abraham's bosom and not ever get to the truth of this story because they go off into fairy tale land. And I'm not going to take the time to preach against dispensationalism right now, but I will just say this, Abraham's bosom is a body part, not a location. It simply is a reference to the fact that Lazarus died and was carried by the angels and he was standing at the side of, he was next to Abraham. You say, why would Jesus make a big deal about that? Remember, for the Jews, this would be an extremely big deal because they had this hope, we've been learning about this through the Gospel of Luke, that they would be invited to this great supper with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus has already told them that to their dismay, they will one day look upon those that come from the east and the west, and as they sit with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, 
in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus makes this, uh, this, gives us this detail to emphasize that this guy, Lazarus, though he did not live the life that you and I would want to live, this is Jesus speaking. Remember, we saw this on Wednesday night. He was speaking to the Pharisees, the Bible tells us, who loved covetousness. These were people who were rich and they were in love with wealth. They saw prosperity as the blessing of God. And Jesus is telling us a story about this man named Lazarus who was a beggar, who was laid at the gate, who was full of sores, who was desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, whose dogs licked his sores. And he says, this man died and went to heaven and was standing next to your hero. He was next, uh, he was uh, carried into Abraham's bosom. This is the point that Jesus is making. And along with that point, though that point would have been shocking to the Jews of the first century, he makes an even more shocking point, and it is this, the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. And what Jesus shows us here is that both the beggar died, and notice the last part of verse 22, the rich man also died. So though life does differentiate between the classes, and in this life, whether you like it or not, some people have it better than others. Some people live better than others. Some people are better clothed than others and drive nicer vehicles than others and take better vacations than others and live in better neighborhoods than others. Though in this life, life does differentiate between the classes. Something that Jesus wants us to know and wants us to remember is that death does not discriminate. Death comes for us all. The beggar died, and the rich man also died. Doesn't matter how much money is in your account. Doesn't matter how nice your clothes are. Doesn't matter how much wealth you've got. You will one day die. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Keep your place in Luke chapter 16. That's our text for this morning. But if you would go to Ecclesiastes, if you open your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have Proverbs and then the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes 9 highlights this idea that death comes for us all. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 1. Ecclesiastes 9, 1, the Bible says, For all this I considered in my heart even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works... I love how the Bible highlights this. We've seen this recently throughout Scripture. Here, the, 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 the writer, of course, Solomon, in Ecclesiastes, says, look, the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 is what I wanted to highlight for you. All things come alike to all. Now, you would read the story of the rich man and the beggar in their lives and say, well, this is not true. All things are not alike to all. One here was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously. Another was laid at his gate full of sores, designed to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And their lives were very much different. But in death, all things come alike to all. All things come alike to all. Notice what, notice what he says. Ecclesiastes 9.2. There is one event. What is that referring to? It is referring to death. There is one event to the righteous 
and to the wicked. See, death comes to us all. You say, I'm righteous, I'm a Christian. Great, you're going to die. You say, I'm wicked, I don't believe in God, and I, I do as I please. Well, you're going to die too. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, to the unclean, to him that sacrifices, to him that sacrifices not, to the religious, to the non-religious. The Bible says, as is the good, so is the sinner, as he that sweareth, as he that feareth an oath. Look at verse 11, skip down to verse 11, just for sake of time. I returned, Ecclesiastes 9.11, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor uh, yet favor to men of skill. Notice it, but time and chance happeneth to them all. And don't misunderstand me when it comes to status and success. I believe the Bible teaches to work hard. I believe the Bible teaches that we should work hard, that we should be disciplined, and that, that God blesses hard work. But let me tell you something. You may be here this morning and be highly successful, and part of that is due to the fact that God gave you a brain, and God gave you strength, and God gave you talents. But part of that is also due to the fact that time and chance happened to them all. Because you could have the exact same brains and be born crippled and may not have the same opportunities that you have right now. And to some extent, and I'm not taking responsibility away from any of us, we're all responsible to do what we can do with what we've been given. But to an extent, time and chance happen to them all. I often say this. I think about it often because I was not born in the United States of America. I was born in Venezuela. My family moved here when I was four years old. I'm an American citizen, for those of you that are Republicans that need to know that. <laughs> but many of you, you know, you say, well, time and chance, you know, no, I, I'm successful because, uh, because uh, my, my hard work ethic, and I'm not taken away from that, but let me tell you something. Part of the reason you're successful is because you won the lottery and you were born in the United States of America. Yeah. Or you were brought here. And I'm just here to tell you, when it comes to this life, time and chance happen to them all. Verse 12, for man also knoweth not his time, knoweth not what time. Again, a reference to death. The Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And you don't know when that day will come for you. It may come today. For man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes are taken in an evil net. This is how God equates our lives. He says, the same way that a fish does not realize that he's going to get caught in a net, the day that he gets caught in a net, he says, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in a snare, the same way that a bird does not wake up and think to himself, today I'll be caught in a trap and be somebody's dinner. He says, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare, he says, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. When what falleth suddenly upon them? Death. Because I'm here to tell you something. That death comes for us all. Life differentiates between the classes, whether you like to admit it or not, whether I like to admit it or not, life differentiates between the quality of life of an American citizen and a Pakistani citizen. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, 
A 36-year-old Venezuelan kid has a different life being brought to the United States of America than the same 36-year-old Venezuelan kid who stayed in Venezuela. I'm not saying that as, as any sort of way other than to just realize that there is a difference, there is a difference between those of us that had the wonderful privilege of being born into the home of Christian, Bible-leaving Christians, and many out there who were not. Life differentiates between the classes, but death does not. Death does not discriminate. Death doesn't care if you're religious. Death doesn't care if you showed up to church on Sunday morning. Death doesn't care how much money you had. Death doesn't care how healthy you are. Hey, one day you say, oh, I'm pretty healthy. Well, you can be as healthy as you want to be, and I'm all for being healthy, but either way, you're going to die. When it falleth suddenly upon them, death comes upon all of us. You say, why would Jesus be teaching this? Why is Jesus saying this? And here's what I believe Jesus is telling us. Go back to Luke 16 if you would. But Jesus is telling us this, that no matter how different, no matter how great or how bad, no matter how much or how little you've had in life, realize that death comes for us all. And the goal of every person on this earth ought to be not necessarily to get the most out of life, but to prepare for death. Because death comes for us all. So here's a question I have for you. Are you prepared to die? Are you prepared for death? Well, no, I mean, I'm prepared for a rainy day, and I've got you know, thousands of dollars. That's good. I'm glad. That's not what I asked. Are you prepared to? Well, I'm prepared for the economy to crash and for the dollar to crash. Well, good. I'm glad. I've got all the gold that I need. Praise the Lord. I, I hope it tastes good when you eat it. I don't know, you know. <laughs> I'm not against you being prepared for all the... I want you to be prepared for all the things of this life. But more than that, you ought to prepare for the day of your death. Because death comes to us all. This is what Jesus... Just remember, Jesus is teaching this within the context of stewardship. What will you do with what you have been given? And one thing that we have all been given is life. So we see lessons about this current life. What are they? Life does differentiate between the classes, and death does not discriminate between the classes. Death is coming for us all. Now, I'd like you to notice, secondly, this morning, not only do we see lessons about this current life, but Jesus teaches us lessons about the afterlife. And this is what we'll probably spend most of the, our time this morning. I'll give you five statements, and we'll go through it as quickly as we can, about the afterlife. I like this passage of scripture, the story, because Jesus not only gives us insight into this life, which if we were honest, you and I would already know all those things, but he also uh, goes beyond the veil and then looks into the afterlife or the other life, the next life, the spiritual world. And he gives us some lessons about the afterlife. Let me give those to you as quickly as we can this morning. Five statements regarding the afterlife. Number one, Persons exist in the afterlife. Persons exist in a conscious state. You say, what do you mean by that? That's a fancy way of saying this. There is an afterlife. You're not going to go off into nirvana. You're not going to get reincarnated into a slug. In the afterlife, persons exist in a conscious state. Notice Luke 16, verse 23. Lazarus dies, 
The rich man died and was buried. Verse 23, And in hell he, the rich man, lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. I want you to notice that in the afterlife, persons exist in a conscious state. Notice that the rich man knew where he was in hell. He lifted up his eyes. And the rich man knew where Lazarus was not because he knew that he was afar off in Abraham's bosom. Again, to the side of Abraham or embracing Abraham. One thing that we should know about the afterlife is that it is an afterlife. In the afterlife, persons exist in a conscious state. Notice in verse 24. Here's a second statement about the afterlife. First statement is this. In the afterlife, persons exist in a conscious state. Here's statement number two. In the afterlife, personalities survive from one realm to the other. Look at verse 24. And he, the rich man, cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus. Notice that in the afterlife, not only do persons exist in a conscious state, but in the afterlife, personalities survive from one realm to the other. Not only did the rich man know where he was and where Lazarus was or where Lazarus was not, but the rich man also knew who he was and he knew who Lazarus and Abraham were. He knew who Lazarus was. Which tells you something about the rich man. Because it's not like, you know, he cried out and said, Hey, there's that beggar that I saw once in my life and I, I, I recognize. No, no. He says, Hey, Lazarus. He knew who Lazarus was. He knew that Lazarus was laid at his gate. He recognized him. The rich man knew who he was. The rich man knew who Lazarus was. The rich man even knew who Abraham was. Now, how did the rich man know who Abraham was? I don't know. Maybe he had a name tag on. I don't know. Maybe once you get into the spirit world, you just are aware of who everyone is. I don't know. But here's what I do know. He knew who he was. He knew who Lazarus was. He knew who Abraham was. And here's what I do know, and here's what we can learn about the afterlife, is that there is coming an afterlife. And in that afterlife, whether you end up in heaven or hell, this is true of everyone in heaven or in hell, that persons exist in a conscious state. In hell, he lifted up his eyes. And personalities survived from one realm to the other. He knew who he was, and he knew who Lazarus was. Here's statement number three. Not only in the afterlife do persons exist in a conscious state, not only in the afterlife do personalities survive from one realm to the other, but statement number three is this. In the afterlife, people are sustained by God in two different places. Notice what the Bible says, Luke 16, 23. And in hell... I'd like to point out to you, and we've already read this entire passage in its context, I'd like to point out to you that there is no purgatory mentioned. There is no other state, there is no Mormon third heaven or second heaven or first heaven. There are two places mentioned. Verse 23, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes. And I want you to notice there's two states. People are sustained by God in two different places. You say, what are they? One is hell. Today, in Christianity, people don't like to talk about hell. Joel Osteen, one of the most famous preachers in America today, said that he purposely avoids talking about hell or sin in his sermons. 
which is a sad state of so-called Christianity today because Jesus preached a lot about hell. Jesus brought up hell a lot. This is just one example. And in hell, Jesus tells us, he lift up his eyes being in torment. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on the subject of hell because I've preached a lot about hell, specifically from this passage, even recently. But let me just make the point that hell is a place of torment. It is a state of torment. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torment. The word torment means to be afflicted greatly, great bodily and mental suffering. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, here's a cry from hell, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Hell is not only a place of torment, but it is a place of fire. And again, I realize today, Billy Graham said, I don't know that hell is actually a place of fire. I think it's just a place where you're separated from God. Well, that's fine if you want to listen to Billy Graham. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that in hell, he lift up his eyes being in torment, and he cried, he said, Please send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Hell is a place of torment. It's a place of flames. It's a place of punishment. It's interesting to me, just to backtrack to the second statement, personality survive from one realm to the other. It's interesting to me, you know, once you're a rich, successful rich guy, it's hard to, like, take that. You can send the guy to hell, and he's still, notice, he's still giving orders. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. He's like, he's still giving orders. Like, no, 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 you don't understand. You're in hell. Luke 25, but Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted. Notice the words, and thou art tormented. I'm here to tell you something, especially if you're here this morning and you happen to not be saved. You say, what does that mean to be saved? It means that you know for sure that if you die today, you're on your way to heaven. If you can't answer that question, if, if the question is asked, do you know for sure if you die today that you're on your way to heaven? And the answer is, I'm not sure. Well, then... Please keep listening and talk to one of us after the service. And if the answer to your question is, oh, I think I'll go to heaven because I'm a good person, keep listening because that's the wrong answer. This man went to hell and was in torment. And I don't have to do a lot to try to prove to you hell because here's what I know about you. If you're not a reprobate, here's what I know about you, that God has placed his law in your heart, that there is a conscience in your heart and in your mind. And deep down inside, you know there's more to this life than this current life. And the fear of God should be in you of hell. So we see that in the afterlife, people are sustained by God in two different places. The first we see is hell, a state of torment. But I want you to notice that there's a second place which Jesus talks a lot about, and it is heaven. It is a state of comfort. Look at verse 25 again. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. Notice the little statement here. But now he is comforted. That's a little statement. It's a beautiful statement. But now he is comforted. We're talking about a man who presumably was crippled. 
laid at the gate of the rich man, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us. The wording indicates he was laid there. He was placed there. He cannot put himself there. Someone had to carry him there because he was crippled. But now in the afterlife, we see him standing, embracing, hugging Abraham. In this life, he was crippled. In that life, he is whole. In this life, he was hungry, desiring to be fed of the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. In this life, he is full. In that life, he was lonely. We didn't see him with any. Nobody was there to comfort him. Nobody was there. The only friends he had were the dogs that would lick his sores. But in this life, he's embraced by the father of faith, Abraham. Hell is a place of torment. I'm here to tell you something. Heaven is a place of comfort. No matter how good or how bad your life is, it will not be anything in comparison to heaven. And what's interesting to me, just to make the point, because sometimes I like to upset the, you know, Republican Christianity. Like, oh, Pastor Jimenez, you're supposed to be a fundamental Christian. Why are you against the Republicans? I'm against all politicians. Amen. I hate them all. I shouldn't say I hate them all. I highly dislike, distrust them all. So how do you know when a politician is lying? If he's speaking, you, you know he's lying. What's, what's interesting to me is that in the current life, we had no equality, no egalitarianism. One fared sumptuously while the other one suffered. But society beyond the grave is no more egalitarian than society was before, was before the grave. Because now, one is comforted while the other one's in torment. And I'm just here to tell you, there, there's never coming this day, it's not going to happen, there's never coming this day where we're just going to have this beautiful world where everyone is the same and we're all equal. It's not happening, even in the afterlife. Some people go to heaven and some people go to hell. Right. I don't like that. Well, then you don't like Jesus and you don't like the Bible. That goes against my American philosophy. Then get rid of your American philosophies and become a Bible-believing Christian. Because the truth is this, that in the same way, Jesus says, which Jesus does not comment favorably or negatively, he just says in the same way that there's no equality in this life. Some people have it better than others. He says there is no equality in the next life. Some people die and go to hell. And some people die and go to heaven. One was in hell in a place of torment. The other one was in heaven in a place of comfort. And again, I would... Ask those of you who say, well, I don't think this is a real story. I think this is a parable. Okay, fine. If it's a parable, then what is it a parable about? I mean, I think it's obvious if it's a parable and these individuals were not real people, it's a parable about the fact that real people die and go to heaven and are comforted or die and go to hell and are tormented in flames. So either way, God wins. The point is made. We see the lessons about the afterlife. We saw that in the afterlife, persons exist in a conscious state. We saw that in the afterlife, personalities survive from one realm to the other. We saw that in the afterlife, people are sustained by God in two different places. I want you to notice, fourthly, verse 25, in the afterlife, 
Look at verse 25. But Abraham said, son, remember. Because remember, the rich man, he's giving all these directions. Send Lazarus to get me some coffee and dip his water, its finger in water and dip his finger in my tongue that I might be cooled from this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that thou, the rich man, in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. He said, hey, remember that your life was good. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. Lazarus had a bad life. He says, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Here's statement number four. In the afterlife, prior status has no bearing on our future state. In the afterlife, prior status have no, has no bearing on future state. So people that were successful and had a lot of authority and had a lot of power and were used to getting, just get, getting into wherever they wanted to go and getting the, the, the corner office and getting the nicest table and having people just you know, bend over backwards to make sure, hey, that's not going to happen in the afterlife. Your prior status will have no bearing on your future state. By the way, this coincides with the teaching that Jesus has been teaching about stewardship, that because prior status has no bearing on your future state, we should be less focused on our current status and be more focused in our future state. With that said, let me say this also to those of you that want to reject the gospel and you just refuse to get saved and you want to die and go to hell. If that's what you plan on doing and that's what you'd like to do, then you better make this life the best you can possibly make it because this is all you're getting. You better make the best out of it. Have the most fun you can. You say, are you telling unsaved people? I'm telling unsaved people who are not willing to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that they better have as much fun as possible because eternity is hell and flames and torment. Remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, thou art tormented. So we see that in the afterlife, prior status has no bearing on our future state. Here's statement number five, look at verse 26. And besides all this, Abraham says, besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Here's statement number five. Well, let me just recap real quickly. Statement number one was, in the afterlife, persons exist in the conscious state. Statement number two, in the afterlife, personalities survive from one realm to the other. Statement number three, in the afterlife, people are sustained by God in two different places. Statement number four, in the afterlife, prior status has no bearing on our future state. Here's statement number five. In the afterlife, positions are permanent, whether heaven or hell. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fix. He said, I can't send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and, and, and touch the tip of your tongue, your tongue. Why? Well, Abraham said, for lots of reasons. But the main reason is this, because between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from the hands to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. What is it that Abraham is saying? Here's what he's saying. Once, when you get to hell, 
It's permanent. It's forever. The doctrine of annihilation is, is not true, that you'll just burn up and cease to exist. No, the Bible is clear, and again, I won't take the time to, to go through all the verses. I've preached sermons like that, but the Bible is clear that hell is forever, everlasting fire. You will exist permanently in a position of death. Constantly dying and never ceasing to exist. Because in the afterlife, positions are permanent. And by the way, hell is the same way, just in the opposite. Constant life, never ceasing to end. Because in the afterlife, positions are permanent, whether heaven or hell. So we saw the first heading, lessons about this current life. Life does differentiate between the classes. Death does not discriminate between the classes. We saw lessons about the afterlife. Persons exist in a conscious state. Personalities survive from one realm to the other. People are sustained by God in two different places. Prior status is no bearing on future state. Positions are permanent, whether heaven or hell. But now let me just quickly give you a couple of lessons from our third heading. It is this, lessons about how to live your life. Lessons about how to live your life. Because maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, wait a minute, I, I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm the person you're talking about. I don't know. If I died today, I don't know that I would go to heaven. Or I was thinking, well, I'm a pretty good person. Then you said that was the wrong answer. And I don't really understand. What is it that Jesus is teaching in this story? Jesus gives a lesson in this story for the unsaved. I want you to notice it. I'm going to read a couple of verses to give you the context because I want you to have the context. Verse 26. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him, referring to Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. We'll come back to those verses here in a minute. Look at verse 29. Abraham saith unto them, unto him. Because this guy said, he said, I have five brethren. If, if Lazarus can't come to me, can you at least send him to my five brothers? Because I have five brothers, and I do not want them to come to this place of torment. Verse 29, Abraham saith unto them, unto him, they, referring to his five brothers that are still alive, that he wants Lazarus to go and be a soul winner for, he says, they have Moses and the prophets. He said, what does that mean? Because at the time of Jesus, most of the prophets were already dead. And the term most of the prophets is not a reference to the individuals, Moses and the prophets. It is a term that is used in Scripture in reference to Scripture itself. Moses and the prophets is a reference to the Old Testament, sometimes referred to as the law and the prophets. Moses, of course, gave us the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, referred to as the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The prophets gave us the rest. Because even beginning with Samuel, you know, even historical books were written by prophets. And the response from Abraham to this man is, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, verse 30, the rich man, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. He said, don't tell them they can just read the Bible. Don't tell them the Bible has the answers. Don't tell me that they have Muslim prophets. If somebody would raise from the dead, then they would repent. He said, if, if Lazarus would just go back 
from the dead. They know my five brothers, they came in, as they came in through parties, they have to step over Lazarus. They know who Lazarus is. They know Lazarus died. If, if, if Lazarus resurrected from the dead, then they would hear him and they would repent. What's interesting to me, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, what's interesting to me is that Jesus, I believe Jesus tells a specific story and gives us the name of this man for a certain reason because there was actually a guy in the Bible named Lazarus who actually died and resurrected from the dead. Now that Lazarus, let me be clear, is not this Lazarus. Those are two different Lazaruses. But it's just interesting to me, and I don't think that anything is in the Bible by coincidence, that here we have a story of a guy saying, if Lazarus were to rise from the dead, they would believe. Jesus is telling the story to the Pharisees who are about to see a man named Lazarus get resurrected from the dead, and they did not believe. Not only that, not only was a guy named Lazarus, actually different Lazarus, but a guy named Lazarus resurrected from the dead, but Jesus himself resurrected from the dead. And they did not believe. Look at verse 31. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, referring to scriptures, if they don't listen to the Bible, if they don't listen to the scriptures, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And herein we find, go to John, just real quickly, John chapter 5. Herein we find the answer to the question. You say, I don't understand. Is Jesus teaching some sort of socialistic, communistic teaching here? Is he telling us that the rich man went to uh, hell and the poor man, the beggar went to heaven because the rich man was rich and the poor man was poor? No. Is Jesus telling us that the rich man went to hell because he was a bad man and the, 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 the beggar was a good man and that's why he went to heaven? And the answer is no, because the Bible says there is none that doeth good, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You say, well, I don't understand. Why did one go to heaven and one went to hell? For the same reason that anybody goes to heaven and anybody goes to hell. It has nothing to do with how good of a person you are. It has nothing to do with how successful of a person you are. This rich man might have given lots of money to charity. He might have been given lots of money. I mean, I don't, I don't think so. We have a, a crippled man laying at his gate. He's not feeding him. But even if he wouldn't have, you know, that would not have got him to heaven or hell. You say, then why do people go to heaven and why people go to hell people go to hell because they reject the bible you say what got this man in hell the fact that and abraham is highlighting and saying your five brothers have the same thing that you had they have moses and the prophets let them hear them let them hear them say why is it that anyone will go to heaven not because they're good not because they're better than anyone else, not because they're richer than anyone else or poorer than anyone else. The only reason anybody goes to heaven is because they believe the Bible. John 5, look at verse 39. Are you there? I just want you to see it. John 5, 39. John 5, 39. This is what Jesus said. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. 
Why do people go to heaven? Because they believe the Bible. Why do people go to hell? Because they reject the Bible. Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. No, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. If they won't believe the clear scriptures, they won't believe anything. If you won't believe the Bible, you'll be damned. Why do people go to heaven? Because they receive the testimony of the Bible, the testimony of Jesus Christ. Why do people go to hell? Because they reject the testimony of the Bible. They reject the testimony of Jesus Christ. So let me just give you a little hint for those of you that are not saved. If somebody were to walk up to you, if somebody were to knock on your door, if somebody were to stop you at a street corner or after a church service and ask you, May I show you from the Bible how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven? Please don't reject that. Please don't say, well, I don't have time. You know, I got to get to. I'm busy. Because the reason people go to hell is because they refuse to listen to Moses and the prophets. Because they reject the word of God. And the only reason that those of us that are going to go to heaven are so assured of our salvation. You say, yes, you sound a little cocky and arrogant, you know, for sure you're on your way to heaven. Not because of anything I've ever done. Not because of who I am or because I'm the pastor of a church, but because one day somebody took a Bible and showed me from the Bible that I was a sinner and I deserved to go to hell, but Jesus loved me and he died on the cross and he paid for my sins and he wants to give me eternal life and all I had to do was believe on him and call upon him for salvation. I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to go to church. I didn't have to repent of my sins. I didn't have to get baptized. I didn't have to do anything. I just put my faith in Jesus Christ alone. And I have assurance. You say, why? Because of you? No, 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 because of the Bible. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So we see a lesson for the unsaved. What's the lesson for the unsaved? The lesson for the unsaved is this. Listen to the Scriptures. Listen to the Scriptures. They are they, Jesus says, which testify of me. But just real quickly, as we finish this morning, let me give you a lesson for the saved. In this story, and you, if you've heard me preach out of this passage, you've heard me highlight this. I won't belabor the point, but I will make the point. That there's not only a lesson for the unsaved, but there's a lesson for the saved. The lesson for the unsaved is listen to the scriptures. The lesson for the saved is this. Notice there in verse 26. In verse 26, 27, 28, we find a lesson for the saved. We can place those under two different categories. One is a regret in heaven. You say, I thought you said heaven was a place of comfort. It is a place of comfort. I thought you said heaven was a place of joy. It is a place of joy. I thought you said heaven was a place of peace. It is a place of peace. But let me tell you something. There is one thing that we will have in heaven that is a negative thing, and it is regret. Which is why the Bible tells us that Jesus has to wipe away our tears from our eyes when we are already in heaven in our glorified states. It's highlighted for us here in the story. Look at verse 26. Notice what Abraham says to the rich man. The rich man made a request. Will you send Lazarus down, dip his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham is explaining why that cannot happen. Verse 26. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fix. 
Notice what Abraham says. So that they which would pass, the term would pass means those that would like to pass from hence. Now the word hence is an older word that we don't use a lot in our modern vocabulary. The word hence means from here. So Abraham says, so that they which would pass from hence, meaning from here, where, from where? From where Abraham is in heaven with Lazarus. From here to you, referring to the rich man who's in hell, cannot. Abraham says, look, those who would like to go from here to there cannot. From heaven to hell cannot. Then he says, neither can they pass to us. Us referring to the people in, he- in, in heaven. Neither can they, the people in hell, pass to us or come to us that would come, that would like to come. Notice what he says, from thence. The word thence means from that place. He says, from hence, from this place to that place, we cannot go. From thence, from that place to this place, they cannot come. Now that's interesting to me because of the fact that if somebody were to say, if Abraham were to say, now the people that are in hell that would pass, that would like to come from from, 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 uh, from there to here, from thence to hence, he said they cannot come. Now that makes perfect sense to me. Because if you're in hell, wouldn't you want to get out of hell and go to heaven? What's peculiar to me is that he says that there are those who would pass from hence. He says from here to you. He says, he says look, Rich man, here's the problem. People that want to come from hell to heaven can't. And he says, I'm getting the same request up here. People are asking up here, can they go down there? And the answer is no. And you've got to ask the question, why would anybody in heaven be making a request to go down to hell? And I think the answer to the question is this. That when you are in heaven and you see your five brethren in hell, When you are in heaven and you see your wife or your husband or your mother or your father or your children or your neighbors or your co-workers in hell, you will want to go from heaven to hell to rescue them. But there's one thing that you can only do on earth and you cannot do in heaven, and it is this. Be a soul winner. See, today it's like pulling teeth to try to get Christians to be motivated enough to give up of their, this current life, their time, their energy, their resources. Pastor, you don't understand. I can't go soul winning on Saturdays. I work on Saturdays, and I've got to work because I like to drive a nice car. I have to work because I can't go. You can't go soul winning on Saturdays. You can't go soul winning on Thursday. You can't go soul winning on Friday. You can't go soul winning on Sunday. You can't go soul winning on Monday. You can't make time to go soul winning anytime because you're selfish. That's why. Because you're living for yourself. But Jesus is teaching us in these lessons on stewardship that there's more to life than this life. One day, we will all learn with terrifying clarity that we should have spent more time reaching people with the gospel. But instead of spending your time in heaven regretting that you never preached the gospel to those in hell, Jesus would tell us, Why don't you live your life today 
trying to keep people from hell. Only one life so soon shall pass. Only what's done for Christ shall last. Notice a regret in heaven and then just, just to finish up, a request from hell. Luke 16, 27. Then he said, the rich man, I pray thee. You may think this is a parable. I think this is a real story. Either way, you should put yourself into the story. Here's a guy who was too busy, too successful, too involved in whatever he was doing to listen to Moses and the prophets. And what happened to him is what happens and what will happen to us all. He woke up one day in hell. What will happen to all of us is we will all die. He died, and this unsaved man woke up in hell. And he realized, he realized that he was in hell and that Lazarus was not in hell. He was afar off. And it became clear to him that this state was permanent. There is a great gulf fixed. What's interesting to me is that in the afterlife, everyone's a soul winner. In the current life, almost no one's a soul winner. Almost no Christian goes soul winning or tries to reach people with the gospel, or tries to share the gospel with anyone else. I mean, is that true? Only if you go to a church like Verity Baptist Church where the pastor's like trying to tell you like, hey, there's more to life than this life. You got to be a soul winner. You got to make sure you're saved and try to get your family saved. The reality is that most Christians are not doing anything to spread the gospel to anyone. But in heaven, everyone becomes a soul winner. And by the way, in hell, everyone becomes a soul winner. Because when he realized that his state was permanent and there was nothing he could do about it, he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. And here you have a heartbreaking cry from hell. The cry from hell is this, for I have five brethren. I'm just here to tell you that if you and I could dip a microphone into the halls of hell and listen in to the cries from hell, we would hear cries of torment and cries of regret. The most terrifying thing as a soul owner is that we would hear people say, I have a, I have a daughter. I have a son. I have a sister. I'm a mother if someone would just go and tell my husband so he doesn't come to this place of torment. He says, I have five brethren. Please send him that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place of torment. So you've got to ask the question, are you preparing yourself for death? Because death comes for us all. And if you're not saved, you will spend eternity in hell. And if you are saved and not living your life to try to keep people from hell, you may spend eternity in regret that we did not do more to reach people with the gospel. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the story an amazing story it's really the story of all humanity we will all die and we will spend eternity somewhere heaven or hell Lord I pray you'd help us to prepare for that day
Lord, I pray if there's somebody here today who's not saved in a room of 200 and some odd people, chances are there's somebody here who's not saved. They don't know if they die today that they're on their way to heaven. They've never called upon Jesus in faith for salvation. They've been trusting for the wrong thing. Lord, I pray, I pray that you would move in their hearts, help them not to leave here today without allowing somebody to show them from Moses and the prophets, from the word of God, that there is a heaven and there is a hell. Help them not to leave here. Lord, I pray that you would motivate some saved people. They're a little lazy and a little selfish. We all get that way. Living for ourselves, focused on ourselves. And Lord, help us to make a decision today to become soul winners. To give our lives. We realize we have to live in this world. We have to work. We have to make money. We have to pay bills. Help us to do all that to be able to live for what we truly want to live for, Jesus Christ, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus, to disciple new believers. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. I've been doing this a lot to you guys lately, and I don't know. I promise I'm going to try to stop, but I'm going to change the last song for you, if that's okay. And I'd like to, like for us to take the songbook. Don't go anywhere, Brother Matt. I'm going to have you lead some of these stances. But uh, 